This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. And the results are in for Sideshow Bob 100%, for Joe Quimby 1%. And we remind you, there is a 1% margin of error. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. We are less than three hours away from the first polls closing in this uh, U.S. presidential election. Uh, some of the key states will uh, have closed their polls by around 7 or 8 o'clock our time. So we'll have a pretty good idea this evening, uh, fairly early on, of how the night's going to transpire. Now, as we've been talking about, the polls going into this election suggest that Trump is down, uh, that Trump's the underdog, that Trump's got his work cut out for him if he's going to somehow get to 270 electoral votes. But as we played for you before the top of the hour, already Donald Trump is suggesting that you can't trust those polls, suggesting even that some polling companies are intentionally putting out phony numbers. But they're not even calling people. They're just throwing uh, darts at a dartboard and uh, picking random numbers and, and pushing out polls. Is there any reason to believe that? Look, we, we love to hate polls. And whatever any election, even elections here in this country, always trash the polls. Why are we relying on these polls? Can't listen to those polls. Can't trust those polls. But we consume them voraciously. Uh, and there's quite an industry that's been built around them. Even some people have really made a name for themselves. People like Nate Silver, who's become, uh, I think, both very polarizing, but at the same time very famous, is 538.com. It's not just about the polls as well. You've got to run those polls through the meat grinder. Uh, what are the aggregators showing? What are the maps showing? Yeah, it is quite a science, and people do follow it very closely. Anyway, joining us for some thoughts on the polls as we head into this uh, election day here today, Colby Kosh joins us, a uh, columnist with the National Post, nationalpost.com. Colby, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. I'm glad to be here, Rob. Um, by and large, it seems when we look at the last few presidential elections, even going back to 2015, we had an election federally, we had an election in Alberta. It seems more or less the polls tend to get it right, don't they? Uh, that's the uh, recent history. Uh, I mean, what you tend to find with uh the polls is that there's the occasional uh the occasional blip where they get it badly wrong obviously the 2011 election here was an example of that 2011 or 2012 whichever one that oh, was 2012 yes election. yes uh and then uh when that happens there's always a bout of <clears throat> radical skepticism you know people don't know whether to trust the polls uh when something like that happens when people when you get burned by the hot stove and uh you know uh Gradually, they seem to sort of redeem themselves. Uh, you know, we're in we're in a mood, I suppose, right now where we have high trust in the polls. Uh, but the skepticism and that is created when there are mistakes, in turn, fuels this poll aggregating industry. I mean, I think that's how I would respond to your intro there. You you need to make a distinction between the people who are out there doing the polling, and the people like Nate Silver who are becoming media stars for aggregating the polls, adjusting them. Uh, and sort of becoming meta scholars of uh, polling, so to speak. Right. Yeah, because he, he doesn't. They don't do any polls. Five thirty eight dot com is in no way uh, a polling firm or a polling company. Right. What he's doing is he. I mean, he was really the first person to do this. He invented. You could almost call it a new art form. He went back and looked at looked at past uh, polling in presidential elections, and he puts weights on individual pollsters. Uh, I guess he does two things. He puts weights on the reliability of individual pollsters, you know, gives them sort of a reputational rating and weighs them individually in his model according to how well they've done in the past. And he also does some, he also looks for what we call house effects. He looks to see which pollsters are 
maybe consistently three points more friendly to the Republicans, uh, five points more friendly to the Democrats. Uh, so it's really two different things that he does, and he's turned it into this witch's brew, which he uh, sells as a media star. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, a year ago he was writing off Donald Trump. Trump had no chance of winning the Republican nomination in, in his view. And I guess going in today, when you look at the other people doing these aggregators and doing these forecasts, mm. he's maybe the most bullish on, on Trump. Yeah, it, it is It is a bit of an irony. And the overall story, or I guess the way I interpret that, is he suffered a crisis after uh, being down on Trump in the primaries and saying, you know, there's no possible way this crazy uh, orange-hued man can win the Republican nomination in a serious country. It's simply not going to happen. And uh, it exploded in his face and probably did some harm to his reputation. Uh, and whether by coincidence or intentionally, the model we've seen him put out during the general election has been very... Uh, it's, it's, it, he's not calling it one way or the other. It's sort of been, for, for most of the duration of the election campaign, it's been about two to one in favor of Clinton. And even today, that's about where his model stands. Um, so it's interesting to wonder uh, whether the model has changed as a result of his bad experience in the primary process. If it didn't change, why didn't it? Maybe he, should, maybe he does need to go back and think about changing it. Uh, considering he went so far on a limb against Trump and uh, it blew up in his face. Uh, it's a very interesting, you know, uh, watching, if you're a close watcher of uh, Nate Silver, it's this fascinating ongoing story. He becomes an actor in himself almost. Yeah. Uh, and, and somebody that you watch and cheer for or cheer against or whatever. You know, he's sort of his own thing, his own little, uh, his own little story within the bigger election story. Now, as for the the campaigns themselves, I mean, we've got more polls than we can keep track of, and those are just the public polls. Or the campaigns, they, they do their own thing. And, I mean, it seems to me maybe there are some cases where polls can kind of become self-fulfilling prophecies, but I can't imagine for a moment that a campaign would want to rely on flattering data, but bad data. If they're losing, they got to know that they're losing. If they got to invest somewhere, they got to know where to where to spend that money. They, they need good data, don't they? They certainly do. And... Uh Reporters historically um, have a high amount of trust in internal polls when they can get that data. Now, they're most likely to get that data when it creates a favorable, favorable impression. You know, this is part of the political reporting game. If somebody has internal polling that looks very good for them, creates for, for whatever reason, serves uh, the narrative, they will be more likely to leak that internal polling uh, to reporters and let them know about it. So, you know, if you're reporting on, if you're a political beat reporter, you'll occasionally get these nuggets when somebody decides to give them to you. Um, a lot of the same agencies do both internal polling and polling for polling that is, you know, polling that is, uh, that is uh, commissioned by newspapers and media companies. And um, it's a slightly different art, you know, it's polling is sort of an art form. There's a lot of art to writing the questions and uh, choosing the kind of sample you want. Uh, so the activity is a little bit different depending on whether they're doing it publicly or for internal purposes for a, for a politician running for election. Uh, it's a very fascinating thing, and there's a, lot to, there's a lot going on there. It's really hard to understand, which I think is part of why the... Uh, meta-analysis, the poll aggregators have become so famous and influential. Mm -hmm.
people want to people want to you know people want an X-ray. People want to know how things are going to end. They're, they're they're desperate to have the suspense broken because elections increasingly, especially American elections, they're so long that they have this horror movie character, and everybody is always tempted to peek ahead <laughs> to the end of the book, so to speak. But, I mean, it is true that, that some polls are better than others. Some polling companies have better track records than others. And us, us lay people don't really have, I, I think, the, you know, the background knowledge to sort through all of that. That's right. And, again, it's not just that some are better than others. It's that some do have persistent house effects. And certainly in this election, if you look at the uh, range of people who are doing national tracking polls, for example, there's a couple of polls, the Rasmussen poll, the L.A. Times poll, that are much more pro-Trump than almost all the others. Uh, and that's part of the question is how do you make sense of that data? You know, if you've got eight people who are saying Clinton plus three, Clinton plus four, and then there's two people who are saying maybe Trump is plus two or plus one, uh, it doesn't follow a bell curve. It doesn't follow a happy normal, normal distribution. And, you know, you have to try and make sense of that if you're a poll aggregator or even just a citizen who wants to know what it means. Well, you suggested the other day that tonight might be boring in the sense that uh, I guess it might be anticlimactic. You, you still believe that? That's my own. I don't know that I'd say it's going to be anticlimactic because I don't think it's going to be a landslide election. I do not think I do not think we're going to see a sort of Mondale Reagan blowout. But I think it's going to be a uh, probably a persistently good night for Hillary Clinton, and that she'll end up in the sort of 320, 330 electoral vote range. You know, it won't be a blowout, but she'll probably be pretty safe, and we probably won't be sitting up very late waiting for the West Coast to come in. I don't, I don't think. All right. Well, yes, I don't know any more about it than you do. <laughs> there you go. Makes two of us then. All right. NationalPost.com. Uh, Colby, thanks for joining us here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bro. All right. Take care. Colby Kosh, columnist for the National Post, NationalPost.com. And uh, so he thinks it might be um, a little anticlimactic. Not that he says it's going to be a blowout, but uh, he thinks that the, probably Hillary's got like, like what a lot of the forecasts say. You know, it's funny he mentions the 1984 election because we we're going back earlier today and looking at some of those maps. I mean, it's, it's just bonkers to look at the map of 1984. And there's probably some of you out there old enough to remember 1984. Walter Mondale was the Democratic uh, candidate going up against Ronald Reagan, who was running for re-election. And wow. Uh, on the uh, popular vote, 58.8% for Ronald Reagan, 40.6% for Walter Mondale. But you look at the map, right? It's all about the map, right? You got to get 270. You got to win those key states. Well, Reagan won pretty much all, <laughs> all but one. Well, technically one and a half, I guess you call it that. Uh, Mondale won Minnesota, I believe it was, and uh, Washington, D.C. for a grand total of 13 electoral college votes versus 525 for Ronald Reagan. And even the, the 1988 election, uh, it was the third in a row for the Republicans, the Democrats perhaps on the verge of, of repeating that feat. But again, that was, that was kind of a blowout. 53.4% for Bush, 45% for Michael Dukakis. 426 electoral votes. And the uh, Democrats adding a few, uh, 111. So I don't think we'll see anything like that tonight. It's just wild. And you go back and you look at this map and states that are red that you would never dream for a moment would be that way. I mean, it speaks to changing demographics in the United States, clearly.
But Reagan won California. Bush Sr. won California. Uh, now it's just, you know, the Republicans have, have no chance of winning there. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk a bit about, you know, the campaign machinery. It's one thing to, to have your nominee. It's one thing to, to have a national presence and go out and do rallies and fly around the country. But what about the ground game, the get-out-the-vote machinery? What does that entail, and how important is that? We'll talk about that in a few minutes here. It's Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.